Hi everybody, welcome to Agitator. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Kelby Losek. Today on the show, we're talking Dead or Alive 2 Birds, the weirdo Yakuza flick, not the jiggly titty fighting game. You ever play the Dead or Alive games? Hell yeah. Yeah, you, you were probably jerking off to that shit when you were, what, like mm-hmm. 12, 14? How old are you? Eight. Yeah. You're eight. But we're <laughs> talking about Takashi Miike's 2000 follow-up to, obviously, the first Dead or Alive, at the end of which Earth explodes after an epic battle between the rival main characters, played by Riki Takeuchi and Sho Aikawa, who sort of, but not really, reply, replies, reprise their roles here. But we'll get into what the film has to say about rebirth and all that good stuff first, though. What's up, man? How was your weekend? It's good. Yeah, it's good. I, uh, I'm doing a lot of voice work. Uh, I've been reading some gay erotica. Reading some supernatural shit. But it's good. Yeah, it's good. Well, that's good. How about On, you? No, it was it, it was good. On Saturday, Rios and I went down to Oscillator for their first anniversary, first orbit, as they were calling it. For the listener, Oscillator is this screen print shop here in Norman that my buddy Eric co-founded, and anything Eric is a part of is going to be this like anarchically performative and some kind of chaos magic crowd interaction ritual thing. Uh, He was carrying gobs of ink on this gold frame tray that he was using to screen print the alphabet on people's bellies. Uh, There was live music from this band Lane and the Laters. Uh, Some people read. Rios read this fantastic piece. I'll have to show it to you later. Um, It was... I mean, you've seen her read. You know how she she commands and Mm -hmm. controls the room. Hell and the the room the whole time is filled with uh, smoke from this decanter of a uh, not not frankincense but uh, some kind of some kind of spice of that nature that this woman is dousing the place with. The really powerful magic at the center of it all is this six foot four behemoth who is squirting everyone with a spray bottle full of check this out hail that had melted down that had been kept from that uh, really bad storm we had recently the one that fucked Mm, up my mm -hmm. car window and shit Mm -hmm. but yeah uh, spraying people with hail water I thought that was some really strong magic you know yeah it's like bringing the storm yeah bringing the storm in Yeah, yeah yeah that's good I gotta do that next hurricane season yeah, yeah, you ought to just catch some uh, hurricane water in a bottle and uh, spray your perf- perfume your house with it. You know, mm-hmm. do a little do a little protective spell. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was good to catch up with everybody. My buddy Steve was in town, and uh, Steve, you know, Steve is one of these people who he's periodically for long stretches of time like a homeless vagabond just straight up wild man the character shane yeah yeah he's shane right yeah yeah 
You're bringing excellent contributions to this episode, by the way. See, I'm gonna have to <laughs> carry you, carry you on my back like a carry you on your back. Yeah, you're my little Yoda, running yep, through the running Yoda. through the swamp. Oh, and we yeah we talked about uh, Obi Wan Kenobi and shit like that, but it was a good time. That shit's great. I love Star Wars. Star Wars is actually my favorite show. I know we talk a lot of shit on this show. And, you know, I try to pretend like I'm all about just Japanese cinema and Takashi Miike, but I actually really love Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think it's probably probably the greatest Star Wars franchise edition since Attack of the Clones. Sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> that is an opinion that you can have of it. Uh. So, so Dead or Alive 2 why did you want to talk about this one this is one of my favorite movies period not just of Mike, but it's one of my I think it's just one of the the best examples of what Takashi Miike can do uh, specifically I feel like it is a really good aesthetic juxtaposition of this fucking, of like bloody gang violence but it's pervading through an otherwise entirely unironic sentimental tale of brotherly love yeah I couldn't remember any of this movie and I have the box set you know, I've, this is one of these movies... I've watched the Dead or Alive trilogy, you know, front to back, at least probably 3,000 times. And, uh... <laughs> but, uh, drugs... Yeah, I've, I've, only, I've only seen it 2,500 times. So yeah, well, I'm, on that. I'm older. It's probably just a... You'll catch you up. You are older. That's true. Um, but I remembered it as a slow, like, beautiful, low-key serene film but it might be one of Mike's strangest uh it's crazier yeah it is crazier and it's crazier because it it doesn't it does it doesn't go from the very beginning like dead or alive one it basically so you start off and the whole tone of the movie is much more laconic and chill and then you go into this kind of crazy story halfway through whereas dead or alive started off with that fucking classic yeah basically it takes the frenetic music video insanity of the first film's notorious opening sequence and sustains that for pretty much the entire second half of this movie yeah so we should also we should mention that uh, in in this movie the the same two characters from Dead or Alive two have different roles, which has led people to think that it's uh, just a sequel in name only, but it's actually a direct sequel. Yeah, there's a lot of. I uh, think the series as a whole has kind of this reincarnation life cycle theme running throughout the theme of where are you do we want to 
Maybe we should run through this movie. Sure. Yeah. So, Dead or Alive 2 starts off with our guy, Shinya Sukamoto, as a wannabe stage magician explaining using using cigarette boxes and a rubber dart gun this turf war going down between the yakuza and the triad so the yakuza are one box of cigarettes and the triad are another and then a little box of cigarettes represents basically our our main guy mizuki these these like hitmen between factions who are either hired to take out the other side or uh, attempted recruits at joining and growing forces. Um, this turf war going down is kind of peripheral but permeating uh, throughout the film. It's the conflict below the surface. And off rip, bro, I have to say, this is Sukamoto's best acting performance, right? Easily, easily. He was in the last movie that we talked about, Marabito, and he typically does a more reserved, quiet, uh, sinister performance. But this one, he's pulling doves out, he's pulling flags. One of my favorite bits is when he's pulling flag after he gives uh, Shoikawa the money, he's pulling flags out of the back of his shirt the Japanese flag and Shoikawa was not paying attention to him he's just counting the money and he's like hey fucker look at me look at me it's like a kid reminded me of some shit that Rowan would do <laughs> it's uh, really funny the way that um, the subtitles there's a lot of jerks thrown around in this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. keeps telling him, hey jerk hey jerk look at me yeah who picks they gotta let me do the subtitles for this movie and the Ooh. dubs gotta do both I could what? just do every every voice uh, cause I'm really good at it what word would you substitute for some of the <laughs> <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah yeah look at me look at me boop yeah that's it. That's right. <laughs> anyway, basically, the, <laughs> the Yakuza and the Triads... You can cut this. I knew you were going to goad me into saying it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? You say it all the time. Right, uh, right. All right, back, back in character. <clears throat> <laughs> so, basically, the Yakuza and the Triads are both contracting more hitters to grow their numbers and um Mizuki the Shoikawa's character is uh, one of these freelance assassin types who is hired to kill some middle management gang member but while he's setting up to snipe him from a rooftop this slick pompadoured pretty handsome man walks up and shoots Mizuki's target in the head and proceeds to murk the other gangsters in the entourage. And this scene is cut with flashing images of children playing, which becomes an increasingly used style throughout the movie, and we get the idea that Mizuki knows this strange hitman somehow. But first thing he does is he goes back and tells Sukamoto, yeah, I killed him, pay up, 
then we see Mizuki posted up on a roof with this uh, gay guy, I guess. He's some kind of queer, right? I, I wouldn't really know what's going on in, with this character. Uh, I don't know. It's all, it's all gay shit to me. I don't know. He's some kind of gay. Um, but he's, he's got a nice pink umbrella that he's twirling. And he has the mannerisms of a giggly schoolgirl. And I love what Mike is doing here. This is something Mike does in every one of his movies. And zooming out, you could consider his every directorial project an extension of this belief and just doing whatever the fuck you want. When, a, mm-hmm. when it comes to choosing projects, how to approach those projects, Mike does whatever. And in this scene, on an expositional level, Mizuki is supposed to be finding out who the mysterious killer who stole his hit is, right? Well, to get that information, he asks Pink Umbrella Man, who just knows things somehow. Like Yeah. Yeah. Never explained. The the implications there are endless <laughs> and yeah. but none of them are remotely remarked upon. Mm-hmm. Because we sort of just, we just sort of put, you got to put everything together in the movies. Or kind of not, also. You don't, you don't really have to think too much about it. It can just work from an aesthetic, weird, tonal level. And it it exists in the sort of pretend space, right? And uh, you're playing pretend Mm -hmm. and you're engaged with, with the play and you just buy that from point a to point b well we got there we figured out a way to get there and whether or not it makes sense is really just doesn't matter it is addressed by mizuki when umbrella dude tells him the killer goes by the name mizuki koai and all this Mm -hmm. stuff mizuki goes how do you know all this and he just giggles and says that's secret out there sucking them dukes <laughs> and he does he does the, he does the uh you know the little dick sucking gesture does he I, f- I i did forget does he uh is he trying to say he's trying to find this guy to suck his dick or no he was saying he was asking him how he was gonna spend his money and i think the implication right. there is either that he's gonna do it you know do you want to make a little exchange here or just sort of a friendly you know hey you're gonna go get some some sweet mouth pussy (laughs) mouth pussy right i love mouth pussy i've never gotten it because i just go for regular pussy my dick's too big can't fit in anybody's mouth (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. You're the, the, the guy in the bathroom at the end, near the end, huh? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When I, that's what I want. When I die, I want people to just have a funeral for my dad. I, uh, I thought no homo. I, I thought of you in that scene with the, uh, the enormous, pixelated elephant penis. Um, mm-hmm. Sleeping. Like, yep. That's. I know who Kelby most relates to in this movie. 
People think that big dick energy is just an energy, but it actually comes from having an enormous penis. That's right. That's right. That's why I have uh, average energy. Slightly right. above, slightly above average. Right. Energy. Right. Yeah, homosexual energy. I didn't say that. I'm not gay. Well, Uh, so the characters meet up it turns out that they are childhood friends they grew up at the same orphanage together so they go to this island they eat noodles and tofu uh, shit looked gross to me uh, I just like to eat chicken nothing but chicken pure protein uh, and when they get to the island, the movie turns really lighthearted, and it actually reminded me of a C.S. Lewis quote, uh, when I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up, which I think could actually apply to this whole movie. You come back from uh, thinking that you got to be grown and you got to take shit way too seriously and then the true sign of being grown is actually being able to return to childishness and craziness and penisness and penisness yeah the film uh could be a thesis statement on that um on that quote actually when the assassins turn into kids at the end and Likewise, the scenes in which Mizuki and Shu turn into their adolescent selves. In the world of the film, that's not metaphor, right? Mm. It's in the world of the film, they literally revert back to childhood through this yeah. sort of cleansing experience. Yeah, that's something that Miike does so well is that a lot of directors would be like, okay, this is where the real movie is and this is the dream and Mike says no it's it's all aesthetic and real so I thought I heard something maybe not what, did you hear your boyfriend yeah yeah my boyfriend is coming up is he waking up <laughs> is he waking up from his from his nap I just gotta uh, the, okay I just had to uh just had to check on the kid. He's my mom's watching him, but I'm a I'm a worry board. I'm around the kid all the time, and mm -hmm. just it fucks with the the wiring in your brain. Being around a kid twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah. I just give Rowan uh, my nine for protection. He just. So I know that he's always going to be okay because he's, you know, strapped up. Yeah, a 9, not a 50. You know, keep it no. keep it light. I think the 50 weighs more than he does. So got to just make sure that he's able to carry it. But it's pretty fun. He's he's shot a few of the neighborhood kids and the dogs. So that's been pretty funny. <laughs> Just imagining <laughs> Rowan running around playing, well, I guess not cowboy, because I imagine him holding it up sideways, like, in a, in a little mini 
bulletproof vests all 50 cented out and just sticking up the neighborhood kids <laughs> just bringing in the bacon five cent lemonade he's, he's gotta he's gotta earn his he's gotta earn his keep he's gotta make sure you know i bring him to work this kid this kid's been driving me crazy bro just crazy because I've gotten so much work doing audio. I got all these projects lined up, and as soon as I get everything all together, he just will not leave me the fuck alone. It's driving me nuts. Bro, dudes were just not meant to, you know, take care of kids. No, no. That's why I'm, I'm trying to become the breadwinner. Oh, somebody is here. Hold on. It's probably still in the background. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how that goes through. Yeah. I, th that was that was too good. Hopefully that picked up. Cause that, that was really funny. <laughs> this is our role reversal episode. And much like a Miike film, the, the fourth wall was broken. The spell was broken by pure chance. And now... Uh, it's all staying in. It's all staying in. It's all staying in. It's just a big, fun train wreck of an episode. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Just <laughs> the role reversal you hear in the background. Kelvy, Kelvy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's David. It's David. God damn it. <laughs> this is the sequel. <laughs> this is the sequel. <laughs> It's like Kelby's weird, man. He like I went to his house. He, he's making me call him David. It's fucking strange. <laughs> talking into, well, I guess you weren't talking into the recorder, but uh, where were we? So I have the Arrow Blu-ray edition of this, and I think it's I think it's cool when companies update movies for blu-ray but they they maintain the, the the graininess of the film the way that the film is supposed to look they don't go through and just make everything sharper and make everything hd it's more about making the colors pop so this it's a it's just a really good edition of the film yeah i pirated it because i have the box set but it's um packed away somewhere still haven't completely unloaded everything from moving um but everything had this sort of like green tint to it that a lot of these late 90s early odds films kind of had that that like fight club green yeah yeah it's a good 
it's just a good look and you don't want to you don't want to lose it i think that something that often goes unmentioned about Miike is his is his just natural eye for pointing this stuff out the fact that a lot of it goes unnoticed because the focus is often on the content whether that's you know insane gore or rape or whatever but people people sleep a little bit on how just how good he is at composing shots and and getting the look and i think that's just that's just a natural thing you know we talk about it on the show sometimes how there's just some people with natural talent yeah and that's one of the things that you and i have sort of helped each other out of our 12 12 year funk two year funk whatever of the writing shit has been just embracing natural talent that you don't have to overthink these things you can just kind of pick up and go yeah I like to think I like to let things percolate for a long long ass time and then just do it all in one go like three days and then done I don't I don't do the whole yo you gotta write every day no no I just do my work come home uh, train my son in seven different forms of karate uh, help him to rob the neighborhood children and then do some voice acting I'm a I did a pirate yesterday I did a pirate it was uh, it was pretty good it was pretty good I'm surprised yeah. at the a, a gay at pirate the, at the call at the uh, no, so I can't even joke about it. I can't even joke because I'm so straight. I just can't. I just don't think it's funny. I mean, right, right. I, I, I think that's actually uh, very textbook closeted behavior is to be aggressively homophobic. Yeah, yeah. Not aggressive though. It just doesn't, you know, the jokes just don't land. They just don't land correctly. So, so natural eye, natural talent, yeah. And you know, I, I basically, uh, you know, I've been getting jobs, been getting work, but with the way the economy's going, gas is fucking five dollars a gallon, and it's been tough. And so, you know, a, a regular person would be a little nervous about financial stability but I just kind of I do what I'm supposed to and just trust my talent and of course it's going to turn out fine that makes sense right you're just doing you're taking the steps to get somewhere and and you should get somewhere you know it's faith pretty much good faith pretty much pretty much Pretty much. What do you think? What's what do you think is going on with the with the where where are we go? Where are you going? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you going? There's these title cards throughout the movie. Um, what's up with that? Well, um, this actually ties in pretty well to the weekend that I had uh, with the the oscillator performance. Um, while being there, it occurred to me, 
hanging with people I've known since high school, uh, watching people cover themselves in paint, that you can't overthink life. You talk to a man who once sent you on a mission with a trash bag full of beer and a Bowie knife about Obi-Wan Kenobi. One guy tells you he can't remember the names of songs anymore. One guy tells you about his garden. One guy is in town taking a break from panhandling and living rough. And you think back and talk about how you miss the good times. And that's kind of wrapped up in the, the theme of this movie, right? Is there's this break once they leave, once they retreat to the island, where they come from being these hitmen back to where they originally came from as orphans. And it's a meditation on the actions that you take turning you into, you know, who you who you become, but also a uh, a reversion back, a cycle, right? Uh, some kind of smart thing, blah blah blah. Uh, this is where it'd be a lot easier <laughs> if you were the one talking <laughs> as yourself. <laughs> Yo, it's ki- it's killing me not talking for this whole episode. Like, I feel like uh, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you just sit there and listen to me talk because I, or I don't know how I sit here and listen to you talk. Uh, the roles shifted so many times. I, I don't even know who I am. am I Kelby. Am I actually Kelby? Have I been that, Kelby this whole time? That was actually something that I was experiencing watching the movie. I didn't catch up to who was who, uh, at least until after the the dude um, kills himself or whatever happens in the bathroom. The the painter who was taking care of uh, Mizuki because eventually Mizuki is adopted to the mainland, leaving uh, Shu and Koei behind uh and he is adopted by this painter because he's good at drawing or something it's another one of those things that's uh not really well he was probably adopted right because this artist guy wanted a kid and saw that this kid had some kind of uh artistic bent to him so mm-hmm. mizuki mm-hmm. gets adopted by this rich painter guy and he ends up uh killing himself and crazy blood creating just blood everywhere he's in the bathroom holding his throat wound saying I'm sorry I didn't know it was going to be this much blood (laughs) right and it's like uh, bro you're in a Mike film of course there's going to be a lot of blood of course there's going to be blood but that's that's around the time I actually caught up to who who was who so uh Appropriate for us us to get back on track with, with who's who here. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Welcome to Agitator. Wait, My name is J. Wait, David Osborne. Am I Osborne. me again? Am I J. David Osborne now? Can I go back to being J. David Osborne? <laughs> Do you want to go back to being J. David Osborne? I want to be J. David Osborne. We can you both can... be J. David. You can be J. David Osborne too if you want. It's fine. It's fun. You can be a little gay. You know, a little you know, talkative. Uh, that's all. That's all fine. I'll go. Uh, I'll go in and out. I'll go in and out. Yeah, I'll go in and out. I'll go in and out and in and out until the. <laughs> yeah, I just keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
It's easily the weirdest episode. It's great though. This this <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun. That's yeah, good. It's good. But halfway through the halfway through the movie, halfway through the movie is when it gets really weird, and it's it reminds me of the the fact that Miike just sort of does whatever he wants whenever he wants because you get the inner cut, uh, elegiac, 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 laconic, whatever, uh, shots of, of, you know, they, they do a play, they put on a play, for a while there the movie becomes very concerned with Shu and Mizuki putting on a play for the children of the orphanage, Mizuki comes out as a kappa, and... Shu comes out as a as a lion, and it's somewhat sexually explicit. It's a concern <laughs> right. of the people who run the orphanage. They don't want that to happen, but they kind of do it anyway. There's like lots of humping and thrusting and things like that. And while the while that's going on, it's intercut with. Uh, I like that. I like that Mike sets up his montages just with still images because there's a very striking image of a kind of overweight woman sitting naked on a floor uh, just out of nowhere you're like wait what the fuck what is that and it's because that's the setup for um, the whole Yakuza gang war that's going on it's completely tangential to the whole rest of the plot it doesn't it doesn't matter it's not important but there's you know insane bloody gore shootout while they're doing this play and then the movie shifts, and they decide that they should become assassins to finance uh, vaccine programs in in Africa. So then we get shots of kids um, receiving vaccines, actual documentary footage, intercut with Shu and Mizuki growing angel wings and fighting assassins that only communicate through old school Nokia text. They never speak, they just text each other. Uh, there's a midget on stilts. It's a wild ass movie. For for no reason, that midget yeah. comes out of nowhere. That that is like the pinnacle of do whatever the fuck you want in this movie because it sets up this like great scene where the the T nine gang. That's what I'm gonna call them, mm-hmm. the T nine gang. Because they take forever to text each other too. It's you know those old Nokia phones. You gotta press one 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 three three four four, and to be like you're gay. Um, mm-hmm. 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 And then that's right. It, you know it it results in them by way of misunderstanding coming across this uh, midget who actually has nothing to do with anything going on, and but they decide to murk him anyways. And this. Uh, scene where everything turns kind of um i mean i guess cgi but it's just like this sort of old matrix computer kind of lawnmower grid man. it's lawnmower man style yeah. right 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 lawnmower man uh face that shows a diagram of the bullets entering his skull from in sort of a triangle formation and then splitting in a perfectly you know, circumferenced manner that his head 
it explodes in all these equal pieces and a sort of do 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 like video game uh, mm -hmm. music mm -hmm. moment. Oh, how about the title of the movie coming up in fucking uh, 90s, early 2000s rapper mixtape Fire Font? That was incredible. So hard. Yeah. So hard. In the middle of the scene where... So before, before Mizuki uh, retreats coincidentally on the same boat as Shu does to the island, uh, he is running from these people who realize that he did not pull off the hit that uh because Shu is cat like does it in broad daylight walks right up to the dude everybody sees it he ends up in the newspaper and word gets out that Mizuki did not pull off the hit and the people that paid him you know three million yen which I think comes out to like 30 bucks or something I don't know currency exchange exactly I just know that the yen is garbage but he uh they come for him they they come to try to get the thirty dollars back and he reaches behind his back and pulls out looney tune style this cinder block to smash over one of their heads and take off running which was a nice little uh nod to the end of the first movie where they just start pulling weapons out of their asses video game style mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's up with the comet? There's a comet in the whole thing that's going to hit the earth or something. So, the comet, this is something we've been talking about on No Country, my podcast with Chris Sacknesson. The idea of two different ideas existing at once that don't make sense apart from each other. So, in this instance, that's the two different interpretations of these characters as being reincarnated into new lives or as existing in a sort of purgatorial state and what's going on here was wrapped up in the symbolism of well uh all of the symbolism in this film alludes to it but especially the comet what it's suggesting is both of those interpretations are true at the same time hmm. i fuck with it I figured you would. <laughs> I'll wrap this bitch up. Let's wrap this bitch up. I got I got people to kill in Minecraft. <laughs> in Minecraft. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I oh, I, it was funny. The play Yakuza back and forth montage sequence, I uh the reason that Mizuki and Shu are recruited uh, to to put on this play is because this traveling theater when it comes off the boat to, they're supposed to perform the nativity story <laughs> at the orphanage mm -hmm. and when they come off the ferry they just skirt off camera into this like smoky crash single tire bouncing mm -hmm. across the screen cartoon birds chirping sort of just uh, manner that leaves them without I think the the performers are like dead <laughs> 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 they, 
these performers pop up and just die in a really stupid car crash and so now Mizuki and Shu are going to put on this uh, child's performance in which they hope it won't be too obscene and even though it features a uh, you know an enactment of a dick being ripped off and stomped on they don't it see it as obscene the orphanage manager or whatever you call him he's he's happy and pleased with it you pulled it off you pulled it off uh, mm -hmm. which, which is relates to one of the best shots in the movie which is the one of the people who Shu and Mizuki assassinate is found dead in the shower by his wife and he's got like a three foot long dick Kind of like the, the the worms from Dune, just like a god emperor penis. And we cut to the wife at the memorial service, not for him, but for his giant penis. Just kind of laying in a, it's all pixelated and shit. It's like laying in a, in a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she's got streaks of mascara. Uh, running down her face and she's cradling the pixelated elephant dick um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which you you can tell is that that shit is not cut either no no not cut yeah so I was kind of like ooh icky <laughs> <laughs> the ending of this movie gets me every time man every time they, Bro, I was crying. I was crying at the end. Yeah, they get uh, they get shot by the assassins who turn into little kids, and then they shoot the little kids. Again, all real in the world of Dead or Alive 2. Not metaphor, not symbolism, just real. And they're back on that boat, and they're, and they're dying, and uh, Mizuki collapses first, and Shu says... Uh, it's just like you. You always have to do everything first. And then he he dies too. So I basically uh I don't know. Just I was probably I was in bed. I had to eat a whole bowl of cookies and cream ice cream before I could go to bed in Minecraft. <laughs> yes. Oh, a wasp, a wasp, a wasp, a wasp, a wasp. Oh man, you're breaking character again. I don't run. I don't run from wasps. I let I let them bitches sting me. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> That's how you get uh, superpowers. That's how you get your arms full. You're like uh, like Rant, like the book Rant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, speaking of the normalization of queerness, um, I think it's a crime against culture that diminishes gay influence on art and society by trying to integrate in this backdoor. He said backdoor type of way. <laughs> but, but Mike, you know, you wouldn't. He wouldn't be recognized today as a queer icon or whatever right because he doesn't do it in the appropriate ways but he he portrays queerness in this just matter of fact kind of way that mm -hmm. i don't know gives an energy to 
to the movies that um I as a straight man I'm not sure why but I just really uh, <laughs> I really vibe with it I'm sure you do I'm sure you do as a straight man in Minecraft as a straight man in, in real life yeah the uh the play Yakuza slaughter montage sequence uh, I think there's something meta going on there mm. with the obscenity because the montage kicks off right after the uh, you know the, the stress that the, the orphanage manager is expressing over over them taking this to an, to an obscene place Oh, I like his that. His relief. Yeah, I like that. That's a good point. Right, his relief comes because it's not the content. It, the humping doesn't matter. The rape monster doesn't matter. The tearing off of the dick and the celebratory stomping. None of that matters because it's this silly, uh, flamboyant, colorful, mm-hmm. mythological creature um, portrayal of all of this right that is right inner inner cut with all of this like very over-the-top gore body hacking shoot 'em up yakuza rampage mm-hmm. i like that it's Mike's mission statement he's saying it's all fake it's not real so relax none of it's real i think that's why, you know, Mike can so fluidly go between Zebra Man and Great Yokai War and Rainy Dog and Dead or Alive. He can go Itchy the Killer and he can do whatever whatever uh, little girl superstar soap opera thing he's doing now. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's it is all the same, right? Right. It's all yeah, exactly. It's all art. It's all pretend. Yeah, it's all it's it's linked aesthetically. What do you think Tom Mess would think about <laughs> would think about that? Who? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Who's that? I like his name. I don't know. I think he. I think he wrote a book, but I can't remember what the name of it was. Oh, uh, oh, right. He wrote the secret. Right, right. Yes, he's the, he's the guy who wrote the secret. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. He's got some pretty boring takes on on Mike films. That's why he's never coming on the show. No, he's never coming on the show. No, we don't. We don't. Uh, we don't respond to those who don't respond to us. That's right. That's why Mike is coming on. Mike yeah. can come on. Uh. We'll figure out when to when to pencil that in. We've got a few, we've got a few lined up. But you called you called his agent, right? I did, I did, and I said, uh, I well, I was speaking Japanese, um, <laughs> and then they said, "Sir, we we cannot understand what you're saying." And then I realized that his agent that I called is in America, and. Uh, but yeah, we we we're working we're working it all out. I'm not sure. I'm not going to tell him about the book yet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
gonna see. I'm gonna test. Oh, Itchy see. the Killer 2. Itchy the Killer 2. It's hard to. We'll see how much Mike actually listens to the show. He says he's a fan, but. Yeah. We'll see. If he doesn't bring up the sequel, then it's fair game, right? <laughs> if he tells us no, we'll just say okay, and then we'll just do it anyway. Right. Right. If he tells us we can't do Itchy the Killer 2, uh, then, then we'll just call it it Itchy the Killer 3 in, in Minecraft. Yep, in Minecraft. <laughs> oh... All right, dude. I gotta bounce. I gotta. Is that, <laughs> is that good? For, that was that was great. You did great. That was fantastic. It was a good. It was a good meet. It's a nice weird one too. Just